listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. My friend, a new day has dawned in Ontario. A day of opportunity, a day of prosperity, and a day of growth. Who could have forgotten that? One year ago today, that was the voice of then-Premier-designate Doug Ford. Fast forward one year, a lot has happened in this great province of ours. We will, of course, be hearing from the Premier today. We'll have that uh, broken down for you throughout the rest of the day here on Global News Radio. So I'm Adrian Batra, the editor-in-chief of the Toronto Sun, in for Alan Carter. As you know, of course, Alan is down in California. He's in Oakland. He will be joining us later in the program to talk about uh, the upcoming Game 4, because who could forget? It's game day in Toronto. and. For the Raptors fans, this is so exciting for all of us who are really interested and excited about seeing a championship, a finally a championship team from our great country. It'll be very exciting. But one year ago today, Doug Ford was elected Premier of Ontario. The Ontario PCs came in overwhelmingly with a massive majority government. A lot has happened, as you just heard in the news, some of the more controversial things that the, the Ford government has done. They cut Toronto City Council in half. That didn't go without a fight. They repealed the sex ed curriculum. That didn't go without a fight. And they've got a lot of other big plans moving forward, as we've talked about earlier this week on the program the 1% solution that they have in terms of freezing the public sector salary increases. That won't go without a fight. But this government, I would say, was elected to put our fiscal house back in order, to use a phrase. And now we're going to have, you know, a bit of a conversation and a rundown of what has actually happened over the course of the last year. I would say that in just one short year, the Ford government has really accumulated a long list of accomplishments but those have come with a little bit of a price to pay to break this all down for me i'm joined by the member of provincial parliament Stephen lecce who's the mpp for king von newly elected one year ago today and is also the parliamentary assistant to the premier Stephen, thanks very much for joining me thank you adrian great to be here one year what would you say are the highlights since not only becoming an, M- a mem- an MPP, newly elected yourself, but then right. being part of a government that at some times is controversial, but on others, you, you list a long list of accomplishments from the premier. He talks about them all the time. Your government quote for the people. Yeah, I think we're a government that gets things done. I mean, we got elected on a mandate to grow the economy, create jobs, lower taxes, and protect the social services that families across Ontario depend on. And I think demonstrably in every single area, we were making a difference. Now, I recognize, Adrian, there's more to do. And so one year in, yes, we can we can point to our successes, but I think all of us were energized to continue getting the job done. Just today, our job number report came out. The fact is we've created an additional 20,900 jobs in the province of Ontario, overwhelmingly private sector, overwhelmingly full-time, overwhelmingly good-paying jobs. We've created almost 200,000 jobs, um, you know, in one year in office. I mean, our record when it comes to the employment and the economy is solid. And I think we've got to keep doing that. We've got to keep lowering taxes. I mean, the fact that we lead the nation in job growth, we lead the nation under Doug Ford in economic growth, we lead the nation in attracting skilled labor to this province is an example that our plan for the economy is working. We've cut taxes, put a lot of money back in working people's pockets. But again, I, I realize that while we've done a lot and we have passed more bills in the last year than uh, 
I believe, in the last 30 and sat more days uh, in, in, in the last 30 years. Like, we've got a lot done when you compare it to other governments. But for me, I know that there's way more to do to so, improve the lives of families. So there is no question that this time last year when, you know, all of us and on the media side were looking at Doug Ford is going to win a majority, but it was just a matter of how big that majority will be. And it's been overwhelming. Some uh, you, you've lost a couple of caucus members along the way through certain controversies and and through certain policy decisions. Give me a sense, though, about moving forward. You're three years away until the next election. Your government still has a lot of big files to tackle, and not to mention, you know, multi billion dollar deficit. But when I was speaking earlier, Stephen, I was mentioning that this is not coming without a fight. This is not coming without uh, people. Uh, getting upset with this government. Premier Ford's approval ratings, if you believe them, you know, if they believe the polls have taken a hit. Uh, Your government has also reversed some controversial decisions that were some, some would dub controversial, but you reversed some decisions. What is it that you feel you guys need to do to sort of communicate better with Ontarians and working with the, uh, with the special interest groups across the province to, to make sure that we get our finances back in order? Yeah, I think you know. I think it's a fair comment that the government of Ontario needs to continue to highlight the progress we're making, especially in the context reminding families where we came from. I mean, the fact is, when we inherited a fifteen billion dollar deficit under the former Win Liberals, you know, you'll know that we were spending forty million dollars more a day in, and that's not a sustainable number. I mean, we talk about you know intergenerational debt. I'm a you know, as you know, Adrian, I'm a bit of a younger person in this business, and I really believe as a generational public servant that it's morally reprehensible to leave the next generation indebted because the current generation couldn't get our act together and spend within our means. And so we have to tell that story. We have to remind people where where we came from to contextualize the why, why we're making the decisions that we are making to get our fiscal house in order. But at the same time, yes, we are in finding efficiencies, we you know we found a billion dollars in savings just by centralizing procurements across the province of and all the ministries, and it's a common sense measure. But we've also been able to make investments in areas that matter. For me personally, if I could just highlight two, the big one is mental health. We're making the single largest investment in the nation's history in mental health. We realize it is a growing challenge for many people who struggle, and they should have government on their side to support them. The second is childcare. You know, we're putting $6,000 per child under six in every person's pocket, thousands more up to 18 for families that have children and have young adults uh, up to 18 in their pockets. That's money in their pockets on a one-size-fits-all approach like the Liberals. We're actually enabling parents to make the best decisions for their kids. Those are just two examples. We're making new investments that I think are going to materially help people. And as you say, we have to do a... You know, we've got to up our game to share our story, tell the facts, and make sure people know that the singular objective of this government is improving the economic conditions, incomes, and the job prospects of families and workers in every region of the province. Let's step away from sort of the daily grind of being an an MPP and being the parliamentary assistant to the premier and, you know, being in a caucus. What is the thing that surprised you the most in the last year? Um, you know what? That's a very good question. Maybe one I should have uh, thought of before I did this interview. But I, you know, I gotta say, I I think there's the the camaraderie and the unity of our team. It's actually really a special thing, you know, for people who face adversity in their lives outside of politics, knowing that these there's a humanity that could exist from time to time in our democracy, and that people even across party lines can just show such decency. It, it it's actually a nice thing. I want to contrast that or juxtapose that against 
the overwhelming partisanship that I think is not helpful. And I mean, this, I'm not pointing figures. I think we could all do better uh, when it comes to just trying to work across party lines when it makes it when it's in the public interest. And we do that, and I do that as a member. But you know, I find it to be a very partisan place, needlessly. But occasionally, Adrian, there's these sort of little sort of random days where you're like, wow, you know, there's a humanity here. People have a a conscience. There's a a sense of decency that could prevail. And I wish I had to see more of that when we return in the fall. Okay, well, this is the last question, and this is going to be the most difficult one you have to answer. Raptors Uh in five or six? I'm going in five just because I'm an optimistic person, but perhaps it'd be more prudent to say six. But Raptors in five. I'm I'm a big believer, and I think we got a great chance here. And if any, if we could repeat what we did last, uh, two days ago, I think we're on, on track for a victory. Thank you for joining me. Awesome. Thank you. So do what you're going to do. Say what you're going to say. Play what you're going to play. Oh, it's easy. So do what you're going to do. Say what you're going to say. But certainly the passion is being felt all across the country. And for those Raptors fans that have gone down to Oakland to watch the Raptors play against the Golden State Warriors, it's really an exciting time. Tonight, we, of course, have Game 4. But, you know, in keeping with um, talking about everything about the Raptors, even Jimmy Kimmel, the late-night talk show host, uh, comedian, got in on the action and put uh, some questions to some Canadians that we need to maybe learn how to trash talk a little bit more. We're not very good at that because, you know, the whole moniker about us being polite Canadians, but here's what they had to say. We're talking to Canadians and asking them to trash talk the Warriors. Are you ready? Trash talk! No. <laughs> you don't do that here. I would not do that against anybody. Canadians don't do that. Trash talk! No, 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 no. We are polite. We are Canadians. <laughs> I mean, they're a great team. I don't think I can trash talk them. I think they're in the finals for a reason. Why would I trash talk them? They haven't done nothing wrong to me or my team. All all I'm saying is everybody's playing right. So if they want to win, they better play better than us. That's all I can say. Pretty harsh, Lou. Trash talk. Uh, go to hell. That's terrible. No, I don't mean that. I just mean I hope we don't win. Well, better luck next time. It's about time for Toronto to be number one. Hey, hey, hey. As we have been doing all week, Alan Carter, who, of course, is the namesake of this show, he is on the ground in Oakland, and Game 4, the Raptors versus GSW, is happening tonight. Okay, set the scene for us, Alan. We're getting... uh, The Jurassic Park is already starting to fill up, if you can believe it. We're nine and a half hours away from game time, but people are already ready to get out there. It's a beautiful day in Toronto. What is the plan for GSW? Who's coming back? Are we going to get a big challenge tonight? 
Well, we got Clay Thompson back on the court for uh, the Golden State Warriors tonight. No Kevin Durant, but remember that uh, Clay Thompson has really lit it up against us in this series. He's coming back from an injury. It'd be probably, you know, interesting to see how well he does. And if you look at Game Three, I mean, if you look at the box score, essentially it was Steph Curry putting in all the points and a couple of you know other guys wandering around, and that was it for the Golden State Warriors. And now with the Splash Brothers, that's what they're known, uh, Clay Thompson and uh, Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. You know, with them back on the court, we're going to have to up our D because the two of them can really light it up when it comes to the offense. And we know that Nick Nurse has got plans for when they do go double or triple teaming Kawhi Leonard. We've seen you and I have been sort of talking about this as it progressed all week long. Kyle Lowry stepping up, Danny Green finding his three-point shot. All of these other players need to do their job, their part, in order for us to, to have yet another victory. And so the the sense is it's potentially ours to lose, but we're still in enemy territory. The game comes back here for Game 5 on, on Monday. We know that. But has the mood changed in Oakland at all? I mean, tonight's a pretty big do-or-die for Golden State. Well, absolutely. You're right. I mean, they have got – I mean, if they go down 3-1, then uh, then you're going to start to see some worried faces around here, I think. Uh, but right now, I, you know, this team and this fan base is supremely confident, the Warriors and their fans. They have been here before. They know what it takes to win a championship, and there's just sort of an expectation that they are going to win. And so there hasn't really been a sense of panic at all, either from the team. I mean, you look at Steve Kerr, the coach, he's – He's like the quintessential California guy. I watched him yesterday during the uh, Warriors practice, and he's just sitting there chilling. Looked like he was about to go get a surfboard. Like he was just, you know, like there is a real calmness with the Warriors. That may change tonight, though, Adrian. It could very much so, especially if uh, the Warriors are down at the half even. Our guys need to stay healthy. We need to uh, mitigate any potential injuries. So that's that's a big key to to our success as well. I think the other thing that um, you know your listeners really kind of want to get a sense from you is you know the experience down there. I mean, we have the thunder and the excitement of these these Jurassic parks happening all across Canada. Um, not quite the similar situation. So I know you've given the edge to, to Raptors fans and, and, and Toronto on in terms of just sort of the fan experience. But Golden State, it's a winning place. They, they like to win. They know what it means to win. What happens if they lose tonight? If, if the Golden State Warriors lose yeah. tonight? Yeah, yeah. When they lose tonight, I should say. Yes, thank you very <laughs> much. I appreciate yeah. that. Well, I, you know, there's a couple of things that will happen. Um, all of a sudden, they will be in a position where they have to come and win on our floor. And that is a tough, tough thing to do. I mean, obviously, in, you know, in game two, we saw the, you know, the Raps go ice cold on the offense in the third quarter. But as long as we continue to hit shots like we did in the last game with you know, Gasol, Green, and Danny Green just coming up big, as long as that continues, then we're, we're, we're solid. But, again, here's my prediction. It's been my prediction since the get-go. This thing's going to go seven games. I, 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 think that you just, I, I think you just cannot count out the Golden State Warriors. It's possible that we could take it you know, as early as Monday, but I think it's going to go the distance. 
Well, I think you might be on to something there. Well, your chair will be ready for you when you return. Uh, enjoy the show. Enjoy everything uh, tonight. And um, go Raptors, go. All right, Adrian. Thank you so much. You have a great weekend. You too. That's Alan Carter, of course, joining us from Oakland, setting up the scene for the big game for tonight. Can you tell I'm pretty excited? And, you know, it's just, it's the buzz. It's the energy. We already see lineups outside of Jurassic Park. So if you're planning on going down there tonight, if you're going to take the kids, it's a gorgeous day in our fair city of Toronto. But Toronto's not the only place that is, is creating a Jurassic Park. You know, Brampton, Mississauga, all over the place they're doing viewing parties because it's it's just an exciting buzz. And just imagine when it comes back to Toronto in Game 5, what is going to... Oh, it's very exciting. And uh, it's great for tourism. People are spending money here. Generally happier because the weather is cooperating. Go Raptors go. I can't say it enough. It's a pretty exciting night. Going to be a very exciting night. There's often stories that come across, you know, certainly as a newspaper editor, we we make decisions every day about what we're going to cover, what we're not going to what we're not going to cover. But one of the things that keeps coming up over and over again, quite consistently, is this whole idea of cyberbullying. And it's not necessarily I mean, everybody has their perhaps their own definition of what they think that is. But it's taken on a whole different life of its own in, in the age of social media, in the age of YouTube stars. So here's just one example. This so-called YouTube star, or actually, he's a YouTube prankster. He has 1.1 million followers. His name is, his YouTube name is called Reset. He decided that he was going to pull a prank on a homeless man, and he took Oreo cookies and filled them up with toothpaste. And then ostensibly dared this homeless man to eat the cookies and... That didn't work out so well for this poor homeless man because he got very violently ill from it. It was quite disgusting. So not only did he get this guy to eat the eat the toothpaste-filled Oreo cookies, which is disgusting, he then um, taped it all, videotaped the whole thing, uploaded it onto his YouTube channel, decided that he wanted to share it with his, his viewers. Well... It would appear now there are going to be consequences for these types of pranks. Um, this reset, he was found guilty of violating the moral integrity of the homeless man. He is not likely going to serve any time behind bars, but uh, he he lives in Spain. And so under their law, um, they generally allow sentences under two years for first-time offenders in a, what would be dubbed a non-violent crime. But not only was he uh, poten- could potentially sur- sur- face jail time, he was fined twenty thousand euros, about you know twenty four thousand dollars, and he has to pay the homeless man. And furthermore, he is now banned from ever ha- um, from having a social media platform. So, 
happen, doing these sorts of idiotic things has consequence. They get, he got sentenced to 15 months in prison and then paying the victim in what they dub as, quote, moral damages. Now, these sorts of stories keep popping up. You know, we heard PewDiePie, Chair Girl. Now there's, of course, the the Oreo Man. Um, But, you know, this is, this is a, this is sort of one of those sorts of situations where you think how bad, how pathetic has humanity got to the point that we're willing to be entertained by, uh, you know, someone pranking someone into eating toothpaste. It's gross. Uh, it's disgusting. Um, and just just for context, this reset guy told the judge uh, he he uh, I, I do things to put on a show. People like sick things. That's what this guy said to the judge, in which the which the judge responded to attack the sick detention of his followers. This is unacceptable. So, you know, in this instance, this guy got punished. Would it happen again in another instance? Who knows? Um, it's difficult to say. But as we kind of have, you know, questionable things going on in humanity, a lot of it being driven by social media, there also are stories of when we have faith in humanity. Of course, you've been hearing about the kittens, the kittens on the QEW. Someone thought someone was throwing kittens out of a truck. But turns out, as we told you earlier, it wasn't someone throwing kittens out of a truck. The the little guys just nestled up into this vehicle. They live this this family lives on a farm. They were coming on down the QEW. And the kittens were literally just jumping out of of the vehicle. But here is uh, Carrie Schmidt with some more on that. There was no uh, negligence. There was no criminal uh, criminality in that uh, investigation from this morning. And, and, but still, sadly, the outcome is still the same. Uh, a couple of kittens uh, were killed. I know uh, animal services were out looking for the other injured kitten that may have uh, ran into the ditch. Not sure uh, what the outcome was on that. But, you know, it's amazing what um, how outraged we as a society get over things like that. And I suppose that is sort of the, uh, the redeeming quality of being in... Um being in this world of media and, you know, the positivity that we, we have from, from kittens. You know? it's, like, it's a nice breath of fresh air from hearing all these terrible, terrible stories to finally being like, these terrible people are not so terrible. It just, it's an unfortunate situation. Yeah. But I mean, at least... I mean, all the kittens didn't survive, Courtney, so that was sad. I know, it's terrible, but at least, and I'm sure these people feel awful. Like, yeah. there's no doubt about it. But at least, again, they weren't being tossed out of a movie I really vehicle. hope they find that last little kitten. That runs into okay. the ditch. I know. All right. Well, you know you know who is probably feeling a little awful right now is Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, as I uh, make that pivot. <laughs> so, Justin Trudeau, as everyone knows, has dubbed himself the feminist. He always says that he talks about his feminist qualities. He was even recently asked about this at a conference. And I think we have some audio. Can we play that? But it's been a tough year in some ways for you. You got, you put tough women in your cabinet. (laughs) We're all tough women. Did you think I was going to choose weak women? So... (laughs) So share with us, the president of Kenya is listening closely. How did oh. this change? How did this? How, oh. how did this? And uh, president Carter, how uh, did this change your feminism? Uh, it, it increases my feminism. It, 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 it continues to challenge and make us think differently about it. I mean, feminism and, and diversity and inclusion 
is not about making things easier, it often makes things a little more difficult. To have strong voices sticking up for different perspectives means you're going to get challenged, means you get to challenge back, and you get to try and figure out what the right path is for, because no one person has the monopoly on all the right answers, regardless of their gender, regardless of their background, regardless of their position as Prime Minister. I, I have no words. That was the most cringeworthy thing I've listened to in a really long time. And it's so nonsensical. But, okay, here's the point. I'm not going to go on a big rant about bashing him. But this whole idea that he fashions himself to be a feminist. Um, Well, he recently got a report card from a group of women. Um, Women Deliver. It was a conference in Vancouver and where he was reflecting on on his feminism. Uh, they they don't think that he's doing a very good job. You know, it turns out that kicking out uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould and Dr. Jane Philpott out of your caucus and your cabinet doesn't do well for your feminist bona fides. But you know what's interesting also, though? If we recall, there was a day in the in, in on Parliament Hill when the what is called the Daughters of the Vote. These are getting young women in to the uh, to, to come to Parliament Hill and or go to the legislatures and and understand about our parliamentary process and try to get them involved in the in the um, in the system, get them to run for office and for election. When Justin Trudeau stood in the House to to address them, a number of them stood up and turned their back on him. So. How's that going to bode well for, or will that bode well for him in, in the coming election? I'm going to guess no, because as more and more of these women's groups deliver these failing report cards on his, quote, feminism, who knows what he'll say next. But uh, that nonsensical ranting is, is all over social media. It's really quite extraordinary. I, I wish I had a, a dictionary to decipher it for you, and unfortunately, I, I do not. things that uh, people always notice when there's a big sporting event is all the uh, celebrities that sit around courtside because apparently they're the only ones that can actually afford those seats. Well, Beyonce, everybody knows Queen B, um, Queen Bay, and her husband Jay-Z were courtside the other day at the um, Golden State Warriors game versus the Toronto Raptors, where the Toronto Raptors won. But a little bit of drama ensued with the owner, one of the owners of the of GSW and his wife, and it's all very complicated. And um, but someone who has been following this and can break this down for us is a Global News Online reporter, Arthi Patel, who joins me now. All right, Arthi, what's the story here? What? Why do we need to? Who are we feeling sorry for? Okay, so I think the first thing is when Beyonce is at a game. All eyes are just always on her, on her all yeah. the time. So I feel like she doesn't even have a moment to breathe because if she makes any significant emotion with her face, it just turns into a story, which is what happened here. So it turns out she was sitting beside one of the owners for Golden State and his wife. Uh, they had invited both of them to come. It's happened, you know, at least three or four times in the series of during the NBA. 
they had she had offered them a drink this is the wife nicole uh beyonce had asked for water jay-z had asked for vodka soda the wife then asked if jay-z wanted lime but because it's so loud at the game she decided to lean in a little closer towards beyonce and ask jay-z what he wanted Fans looked at Beyonce's face, fans looked at how she reacted, and they completely flipped. So any fan of Beyonce, they're part of this beehive, which is a very aggressive fan base. So if they see any wrongdoing with their favorite celebrity, they attack. So they found her Instagram account. They went, they started posting bee emojis. They started sending her death threats. This woman was left in tears and ended up suspending her account. This is... Okay, you know, we earlier were talking about cyberbullying, and then we had this lovely story about some of the kittens. But then, then we have this stupidity. Online um, reactions, because a celebrity may have rolled her eyes or looked the other way, that is what we have been now relegated to. This poor... I'm, okay, well, she's not poor, we know that. No. But, I mean, she is... But that's just a terrible, it's a crappy thing to have to endure. It is. And I think the sad part is she was being a host. You know, she invited the two to come out to watch the game. It's it's a big game. And unfortunately, this happened. So her publicist, actually, Beyonce's publicist today, actually made a statement uh, warning fans or even just telling fans, you know, please stop spewing hate. Like, stop sending death threats, stop attacking people, stop, just stop doing this online, which you really shouldn't have to say as a publicist of a celebrity. And especially in this day and age, you, you know, you, you think that a little bit of common sense would come into play. You know what, Arthi, I think maybe celebrities should just not be around courtside because it's too much drama, as we know, a la the Drake curse, okay. which we've been contending with for some time now. But okay, let's sort of shift gears from that and, and continue on with this um, issue that we saw, of course, come from ga- again. A lot of stuff happened in Game Three. Ka- this this Beyonce fiasco with N- Nicole Kern, and then of course the owner, one of the minority owners of the Golden State Warriors, Mark Stevens, pushing Kyle Lowry. He's a billionaire, as one does have to be to own a <laughs> basketball team. The billionaire shoves Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry is he's been speaking out against it. All right, so he was fined $500,000, which is, you know, basically he spills that on wine at lunch. <laughs> and 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 is, has a, now a year ban from going to uh going to the games. But talk about coarsening discourse over over the course of a period of time. What what's been the reaction on this one? I think people have been saying that, you know, a oh, this is nothing for him. $500,000 is not a lot. And and I I agree, it is nothing for him, but I think this is sending a huge statement um, to anybody who mm-hmm. thinks they can touch athletes or push them or shove them or even say vulgar things. And we've seen this in the past, too, where people have had um, heavy, heavy fines. The other thing is just talking about Kyle Lowry for a moment, though, his reaction. And if I saw a press interview that he did yesterday where reporters were asking him, well, how did why did it? Why did you react that way? You know, why did you shove him back or you could have done anything? And to think about the pressure that he's under also at this game, he could have snapped. But, he, you know, he talked about being a role model for his sons and all these kids who are watching. But just imagine if Kyle Lowry actually pushed him or tagged him or did anything, we would be talking about a completely different story. Like a lot of people were saying he would have been charged. Mm-hmm. He may have, you know, got out of the game and not continued to play for the rest of the season. This man also, the man who pushed him, um, you know, he's, he uh, accepts his punishment and whatever. He won't come to any more games. 
But I think this says a lot about kind of the privilege of sitting at courtside and what that mm-hmm. entails. And I think LeBron James actually said it yesterday. So he was, he's was he been really quiet during the playoffs, but he spoke out yesterday uh, saying that this is not acceptable treatment, especially for athletes who are playing at this time. And when you sit courtside, you know, read the back of your ticket. Co- athletes are coming towards you. They can fall towards you. They can knock your drink down. This is not the way you react. Well, and it's even, even um, contextually as well. And I, I mentioned Aubrey, Drake, uh, he, him going up to Nick Nurse, the coach of the Raptors, and rubbing his shoulders in the middle of the... I, I mean, okay, it was funny, and I, but it was it was cute. But could you imagine someone coming and, and starting to running up on stage when he's doing a concert or something and giving him a pep talk or, you know, I don't know. It just, you're, you're it may be perceived because it's sport. Mm-hmm. It's not a place of business, right? I, I mean, I get that, but... It still is. This is this is their job. This is their profession. Um, and I think you make a really interesting point with respect to Kyle Lowry. Had he actually v- sort of reacted in a physical manner or even a verbal manner, it would have sort of shifted the conversation about what we're talking about. But I think it just goes to show you as as a, as a professional. You know, he's a highly trained professional. He kept his cool. He kept his calm. I think I sure as heck would have reacted to more differently. I don't think I think the vast majority of people would have been like, to heck with you or push he back. He even said if he was off the court, this would be a very different um, outcome. But because he was working, he had to be as professional as he could. All right. Let's talk a little about, you know, you do all the online reporting, uh, a lot of all online reporting for, for Global News. All Raptors all the time. Every story, everything that we're pull, every thread we're pulling on somehow has some sort of Raptors connection. We see all the We the North everywhere. Um, in even in Golden State in Oakland, they have the uh, billboard: "The Kings of the North are here." Um, and then they have sort of a knockdown, you know, round one, round two, round three, and of course, now this last one with Golden State. You know, is is it just? You're saying, I mean, I can tell you at the Toronto Sun, even all of our online stories, whenever we put a Raptor story up, straight to the top, everybody wants to know everything about what's going on. Everything. And I think this is a really special time for the city. I think for the first time, not only do you have your original Raptors fans, but you just have this new uprising of brand new fans. And I've been a fan for many years now. It's kind of, it's a little bit annoying sometimes to see bandwagoners jump on sports, but this has kind of been very nice. I think it's fun to get in debates. It's fun. I... Just two hours ago, I was trying to buy a Kawhi shirt from a New Balance, and it was sold out in minutes once again. So I think it's just a really, really exciting time. And even if you don't like basketball, I think everyone can feel the energy that's happening right now. It's a lot of fun. Arthi, thank you so much for joining me. That is Arthi Arthi Patel, is a Global News online reporter, telling us about all the drama, the courtside drama that's ensuing with all of these celebrities. I'm Adrian Batra from the Toronto Sun. It has been my pleasure to be with you this week as Alan Carter has been sending us dispatches from Oakland. Coming up, the Premier of Ontario will be speaking about the one year since the Ontario election. Some of the things that his government has done, should have done could have done maybe even better. That will all be broken down for you over the course of the day here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Big thank you to Rebecca and to Courtney for making all of this happen. Alan will be back Monday.